Well, today we're continuing our series that we um, are going through for the summer. And I have really appreciated it. A number of you have sent me in uh, passages. If you will remember, on the first week I said, hey, if anybody has a passage that they would like me to preach in, please send them in. I stopped after the first Sunday because I got like, I think, five um, by Tuesday. And then I've been getting a few more here and there. So I have enough sermon passages now from you to to go for quite a while. And so, uh, you know, we're good now. And thank you. That's awesome, though. I, I think that um, uh, that's um, great that you're willing to participate. I loved how some of you, when you sent them in, you pretty much wrote my sermon. Like, I'm like this is awesome. I'm just going to sit back. And, but today I want to look at one uh, that, a passage of Scripture that is a, a really cool kid's story but not one that we speak about. And I know that I'm going a little different angle with this than what the person sent me, but that's okay. But I want to start off by reading a few, few little stories to you. We're talking this morning about this idea of something being half empty, half full. And you all know that question. Is the cup half empty or is the cup half full? And depending on who you ask, if you're asking a pessimist, they're always going to tell you it's half empty. And if you're asking, a, 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 um, now the word's gone. See, I don't even know that one. Optimist, thank you. Um, it's going to be half full. Now, the most favorite quote I've ever heard about this, and I can't say the person's name because I don't have permission, and that was this quote, and some of you are going to know who I'm talking about. Don't go after the guy. His quote was this, what's the point of being optimistic? <laughs> Okay, you got to think about that for a bit, you know. But anyway, that was like, that's one of my favorite quotes ever, especially if you know who, who said it. But anyway, here's a, here's a story, quick little story to get us started. A monk joined a monastery, and he took a vow of silence. And, and basically, you know, he wasn't going to speak at all, at, uh, at all. So after 10 years, his superior called him in, and he said, you know, now that you've been here for 10 years, do you have anything to say? The monk replied, Food, bad. Then he went away. Another ten years went by, and the superior called him in again. And this time, you know, the monk said, bed, hard. Another ten years went by, and again he was called before his superior. And this time, again, he was asked, do you have anything to say? And the monk replied, I quit. And um, the superior said, well, it doesn't surprise me one bit. You've done nothing but complain since you got here. And uh, I think for most of us, if this was the amount of complaining we heard in 30 years, we would be pretty impressed. If this was the amount of complaining we did in 30 years, we would probably be considered saints. Uh, Now, I'm going to just say something here. I don't mean this to become the focus of um, the sermon at all. But I find it easy to complain. I'll just say it right out. If you're sitting there today going, man, I've never noticed. You haven't been around me much, I guess. But I find it really easy. Just sometimes it's the little things. And then later on, I'll be like, why did I even, you know, I don't even, I don't even dislike it as much as I made it sound. And, and, and I think that for a lot of us, complaining comes somewhat natural. You know, it's too hot. It's too cold. It's, it's whatever, you know. And it's not that we're just saying, wow, it's hot. It's the way we say it and, and the complaining. Uh, I think that for a lot of people, complaining becomes sort of this, this lifestyle, this, this thing that they do. And, and I want to challenge us today, and we're going to look at complaints. And, and the, you know, 
what does our complaining look like before God? And I, and I trust that as we go through this this morning, I hope you don't feel like I'm jabbing at you or anything like that, but I trust that all of us this morning will just take a moment to say, do I live a life that is, you know, grateful? Do I live a life that represents my thankfulness to all that God has given me? Or do I live in such a way that the majority of people that would be around me would feel that I'm ungrateful or that I'm always just a complainer? Now, in case you're wondering, you know, uh, am I a complainer? You know, I just want to read you guys some complaints, some holiday complaints that people sent to actual travel agencies. And some of you may have seen these already. So maybe this will put your complaining into perspective. Just, just check these out. These are, these are pretty hilarious. Here, here are some actual complaints that people sent to travel agents. Number one, we went on holiday to Spain. Okay, we went on holiday to Spain and had a problem with the taxi drivers as they all spoke Spanish. We booked an extra excursion to a water park, but no one told us we had to bring our own towels and swimsuits. We assumed it would be included in the price. That's just kind of gross. The beach was too sandy. We had to clean everything when we returned to our room. The roads were uneven and bumpy, so we could not read the local guides dur during the bus ride to the resort. Because of this, we were unaware of many of the things that would have made our trip more enjoyable. Here's a good one. Um, it took us nine hours to fly home from Jamaica to England. It took the Americans only three hours to get home. This seems unfair. <laughs> and we thought the England people were all... Super smart. Um, here's another one. I compared the size of our one-bedroom suite to our friend's three-bedroom suite, and ours was significantly smaller. Another Spain one. We were in Spain, and there were too many Spanish people there. The receptionist spoke Spanish. The food was Spanish. No one told us that there would be so many foreigners. Two more, two more. Yeah, some of you, you're catching on slow. It's good, it's good, it's all right. Um, I, I'm, I'm used to you guys, it's all right. But 20 minutes from now, someone's going to, ha, I get it. Here's another one. We had to line up outside to catch the boat, and there was no air conditioning. <laughs> and then finally, my fiancé and I requested twin beds when we booked, but instead we were placed in a room with a king bed. We now hold you responsible, and we want to be reimbursed for the fact that I became pregnant. This would not have happened if you had put us in the room we booked. All right, all right. So maybe for some of you are now like, ah, so I'm not really that bad. I'm not really that bad. There's, there's a lot more, but we got to move on. I want to look at a story today in the Old Testament found in Numbers chapter 21 of a group of people, uh, the Israelites, Man, they just did so much complaining. So I want to read one passage, to, a short little verse, and then we're going to unpack that, and then we're going to keep going in the story. But this is a story of the people of Israel, and one thing that you will immediately hear about them is they just have this um, very ungrateful approach to life. So here it is, Numbers chapter 21, verse 4. They traveled from Mount Hor along the road to the, the Red Sea to go around Edom, but the people grew impatient on the way. Now, we'll just stop there for a moment because there's a lot of information to this story. There's a lot of backstory here that, that we need to look at, but we don't have time to obviously uncover all of it because if you don't understand some of it, 
uh, this doesn't make a lot of sense, but here's, here's the story. The Israelites were in Egypt for, as slaves for 400 years. God sent Moses to rescue the people out of Egypt. And so God you know, did miraculous signs in Egypt, and finally the Pharaoh said, go, you guys can leave Egypt. And so now the people who had been slaves for 400, four generations of people who knew nothing but slavery were now suddenly free. And God did an amazing thing. He brought them out, and they crossed the sea, and all kinds of amazing things happened. So God led them out of slavery, but almost as soon as they were out of slavery, the people began to complain. As a matter of fact, there are times where it seems like the people of Israel, all they ever did was complain. And, and you know, whether it was the food, whether it was the water, whether it was this or this, and one of the most common complaints that started almost right from the beginning was, it would have been better for us to stay in Egypt. And, and I think that that's often the, the, the main focus of our complaints. It would be better to go back to the misery that we knew than to try something different. And I think for most of us, if we would look at our complaints, why are we complaining? It would be somehow hinged on that. We knew how bad this was, and most likely when they were in that, they were complaining as well. But here they are now being led out of you know, slavery, and one of the first things, if not one of the first things they did, was complain about it. So by now, the people have been journeying in the uh, wilderness, in the desert, for 40 years. And again, that's an important number, and there's a few details that you need to know about that. You see, in Numbers chapter 13, they would have been able to enter into the promised land, into the land of Canaan. This was the place where God, that God had promised them. They would have been able to take that land. So you got to think, these people that we are reading about here now, they could have been in the promised land for 40 years already. The reason they didn't get in was because of complaining. They complained. Remember, Moses sent out 12 spies. Ten of them came back. Two of them said positive things. The other ten said, we can't do it. We can't do it. The, the people are too big, and the land is amazing, but we can't do it. And so the people complained, and they said, why would you have brought us out of Egypt? Now we can't even take the promised land. And so God was angry with them. And so he said, you are going to wander in the desert until all of you have, that have been in Egypt have passed away, except for Joshua and Caleb. Now in Numbers chapter 14, you see there that God becomes angry with Moses and Aaron because of the disobedience. And so even Moses and Aaron are told that you will not see the promised land because of the complaining of the people. In Numbers chapter 20, one chapter prior to this, both Miriam and Aaron have now passed away. So the only one that's left, <clears throat> excuse me, the only one that's left is, is Moses. So pretty much the entire first generation, the people who were in slavery, have now all passed away. And so here they are now at the beginning stages of entering into the promised land. Now, Edom would not allow them to pass through their land, so they had to go around, and of course, this causes the people to complain. Let's look at verse 5. <laughs> verse 5. They spoke, against Moses and against, uh, they spoke against God and against Moses and said, Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There is no bread, there is no water, and we detest this miserable 
food. Now remember, these people, their parents were the slaves in Egypt. Um, This is why I think these words are so offensive to God. Because the truth is, these people have never, ever experienced the whip of a slave master on their back. And yet they're saying, it would be better for us to be there. The Israelites complained before God. They said that things would be better if they had only stayed in Egypt. Um, Obviously, this is not true because when they were there, they were also complaining. They also say here that there's no food, that there's no water, but we know that that's not true because God was giving them manna from heaven every single day. The Psalm chapter 78 verse 28, 5 actually says that it is angel food because God was constantly providing the Israelites with what they needed. So here they are complaining and complaining, and yet God is still providing for them and providing for them. And because it's no longer the food that they like, because the situation isn't what they like, they exaggerate and say, there's no food, there's no water, there's nothing here for us. So the Israelites insult God. They reject the way that God is blessing them, and they also reject the plan that God has for them. Never once did they say, you know what, Maybe we're in this situation. Maybe this is the way it is because of our disobedience prior to this. No, they never do that. But all they ever do is blame God and complain about what's happening in their life. I think it's really interesting that here's a group of people, like I said, have never felt the whip of a slave master on their back. And yet they're now saying that that would be better. I think for those of us as parents, or maybe as older siblings, or as people who are influential to other people, I think we want to stop here for a moment and ask ourselves, are we having this kind of an influence on others? Parents, I think this speaks volumes to us. I wonder how often we as parents have created that negative environment in which we raise our children. Uh, This is definitely something that I've wrestled with a lot because Here's something that has happened for us occasionally. Things don't go quite the way we want in church, and so we get in the vehicle, and we hit the road, and we're barely at the stop sign. We're already complaining about church. I'm sure that's never happened to any of you, ever. And I remember one day, Marie and I, we just looked at each other, and we basically just together were like, what are we doing this is when our kids were still really small. And it was just this idea of like, oh my goodness, our kids are sitting in this environment. And if their mom and dad, especially if dad's a pastor in the church, and if he's complaining about the church, what are our kids going to grow up doing about the church? Now, I'm just being very honest with you. I know none of you have ever complained about the church. But I think sometimes we as parents and we as people who are of influence to other people, we may not think about the fact that our negativity rubs off. Now, what you have to remember here is this is a second generation of people, and they are saying almost word for word what their parents were saying. It would have been better for us to stay in Egypt. And I think God at this moment, he's just, he is just frustrated because, you see, complaining rubs off. And so you have this entire camp of negative people who are constantly, constantly complaining about life and about how how things are and what they like and what they don't like. 
So God is angry. And he's this, he dislikes what the people are doing. And so verse 6, look at what he does. Then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them. They bit the people and many Israelites died. God has done this kind of thing, not exactly this, a number of times before. It's like God says, I need to do something to get these people's attention. Now, I don't know about you, but I hate snakes. Like, I can't stand snakes. When I was a little kid in, uh, in Bolivia, uh, I was hoeing. And now, you got to understand, you got to picture the outfit, too. You know, it, was, it wasn't pants like this. It was overalls. And they came up to, like, here, and they were thick. And, you know, and, you know you're hoeing in these things, and it's hot. And I remember one day, very distinctly, I noticed something. I still remember it was this leg crawling up my leg. And, you know, you do the shake, and then you realize very quickly, oh, I know what that is. There's a snake literally circling its way up my leg. Now, you can't just drop overalls too quickly, okay? Uh, so I had to, I panicked, man. I was like, ah, you know, and, and, you know, anyway, long story short, got the snake out of my pants. I'm not telling you what happened. It got bright for a bit. I think that's all that happened, you know. Got the snake out because, you know, and I'm just shocked that I didn't get bit. I have no idea what kind of snake it was. I can't stand snakes. Little gardener snakes and, and are in the yard somewhere, and I'll be like, you know, on top of Maria, like, ah, you know, help, you know. Just can't do snakes. Um, another little story in Bolivia. I know one night my dad came home with a, you know, we had horse and buggy, and I was supposed to go tie up the horse in the barn. And so it's, you know, just sort of silhouette. And I see this rope hanging there. I'm like, oh, perfect. Grab the rope, you know, and I tie the horse up. And, of course, as soon as I grabbed that thing, it just slithered away. And it was just, you know, I can't stand snakes. Now, imagine a camp infested with venomous snakes. Think about it for a moment as parents again, as people who are caring for other people. This entire camp infested with snakes. And so the people are being bitten, and they're dying. Sadly, like there's no joke, these people are dying because of the complaining, because they've angered God. And so they do what they've done so many times before. Look at verse 7. The people came to Moses and said, We have sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord, this is important, will take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. The people very quickly understood that they had sinned. And they're genuinely sorry for the complaining and for the, for the sin that they have, that they have uh, committed. And so they asked Moses to pray to God, but they wanted God to take the snakes all away. But the Lord answers in a very different way. Look at verse 8. The Lord said to Moses, Make a snake and put it on a pole. Anyone who is, <clears throat> excuse me, anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it on a pole. Then when anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, they lived. Here's an interesting lesson, I think, for all of us. And we're going to kind of shift this over to modern day, um, our relationship with Jesus. Each person, each person in this camp had to do something for themselves. They couldn't send someone else to do it. They couldn't send you know, a spouse or a family member, each person, when they were bitten by a snake, had to go, had to look at the bronze snake. Now, what they had wanted 
What they had wanted was for God to just take the snake away, but he didn't. God left the snakes in the camp. They bit the people. They still went through all that, but at least now there was a way out. Sadly, I think many of us today are like the Israelites. We complain too much. We complain about things that we should be grateful for. For some people, the cup is always half empty. Think about this for a bit. I'm just lining these stories up because there's a beautiful parallel between this story in the Old Testament and our story today. God sent his son Jesus, who died on the cross for our sins. How many of us live daily as grateful people for what God has done? You look at this story and you, you see these people and you're like, come on people, how can you complain when you were slaves and now you're free? You know, I don't know if you've ever done it, but I've definitely looked at that story and said, why would these people complain? But isn't it, even, isn't it true that we have been set free all the more? These people were set free from an earthly bondage. We, as believers in Jesus, have been set free from a spiritual bondage. And yet many of us still live our lives complaining. The story, this story is an important one to the Christian. Jesus refers to it when he was talking about his death in John chapter 3, verse 14, when he was talking with Nicodemus. The people lifted up Jesus on a cross. He compared himself with the bronze snake. You see, sin is the poison. And everyone who has received this poison in the Old Testament, everyone who had been bit by a snake, had to go and look to the bronze snake. What Jesus is now saying, if you have sin in your life, I've been lifted up. I'm, in a sense, that antidote now. I, you need to look to me to be set free from your sins. You see, the people wanted God to take the snakes out. And we may sometimes say, man, if only God would just remove all sin, then everything would be good. And yet, the same as with these people here, God has left sin in the world. But that doesn't mean... That doesn't mean that, it has to, that, it, that, it, that we should be destroyed by it. Because just like the people were able to look to the bronze snake and be healed, we can look to Jesus and be set free and healed from our sins. God did not remove the snakes. Maybe that would have been, in our minds, maybe the easiest, best thing to do. But I think what God did with causing the people to look to the bronze snakes, he, he was reminding them constantly that I am the one that you need. Because when we complain, we forget who we need. And we only see what we don't have. We don't see what we have. We don't see all the blessings that we've been given. All we see are the things that we don't like and the things that we don't have. Every Israelite had to look at the bronze snake for themselves. No one could do this on behalf of anyone else. And every single one of us here today, in our own lives, we must look to the cross to receive forgiveness for our sins. I want to maybe just go a little bit further here with this and say, I believe that complaining is a sin. And it's a sin, like I said, I, I find it easy to complain. It's a sin that I 
know that I often struggle with. I think that sometimes we think that a little complaining doesn't hurt that much. You know, oh, well, what's the deal? You know, we get in the foyer there and, and we get into our small groups or we're at a family gathering or we're with just a couple of people and, and we also look at our watch and if you would take note of it, it's like, wow, we just spent like 30 minutes complaining about a person or about the church or about the government or who knows what it might be. And I don't think that this is ever, I don't know if anyone has ever said to themselves, let's build a healthy, vibrant community by complaining. If you know of one, (laughs) send me there, because like I said, I find it easy to complain. What I did is I focused this week, especially since Tuesday, and I said to myself, I'm not going to complain at all, at all. I'm, I'm done. And every now and then, it's like, whoa, 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 stop, stop, stop. I know where this is going. Now, again, I, I hope you don't lose respect for me by sharing with this with you because I just, I just feel comfortable that I'm not alone in this room as someone who co- finds it easy at times to complain. I, I'll just say this. I was surprised by myself how often I wanted to complain. Not necessarily about people, but just about stuff. You know, my wife and I would be together, and it's like, oh, man, I can't believe, oh, oh, stop, stop, stop. I'm not saying you can never say something negative, like, oh, you know, we should probably put our garbage in a garbage bag, else it's all over the yard. Like, that's a little different. But you know what I mean by complaining. I was surprised by myself, and I asked, in my devotion time with God, I asked him, I said, is this maybe why sometimes I feel that I'm not being blessed, because I'm not focusing on the blessings that I have been given? And I think that possibly that might be the case for many of us. Complaining always hurts. Complaining never presents anything positive. I know that there's such a thing as, you know, criticizing, and criticizing is important, so now you're all going to just switch over. I don't complain, I just criticize. You know, know, there's such a thing as having to give some positive criticism sometimes. But complaining will always tear down. And imagine God, who set us free by sending his son Jesus to hear a church complain. I wonder if it angers him today as much as it did then. Maybe it even angers him more today than it did then because the cost of giving us freedom from our sins was far greater than the cost of setting the Israelites free from slavery. So I want you to think about this for a moment. If God has given you his son, Jesus, who sacrificed everything for you, is it possible that God today detests our complaining? Like I said, I don't want to poke at you, but I think that in my life, and possibly in some of your lives, what needs to happen is there needs to be a repenting of the complaining. There needs to be a changing of attitude that says, you know what, God has given me so much, I want to be grateful for all that he has done for us. After all, our freedom cost him everything. It cost him his son to come to this earth, to give up his heavenly throne for a period, and to come and to dwell among us, ultimately then to be crucified for the sins of our lives. So I want to challenge all of us to look to the cross to focus on the cross, and those moments when maybe we feel the sting of sin, 
maybe those moments when we feel the temptation to complain, when we feel the temptation to, to be negative, when we feel the temptation to, to not be grateful, at that moment again to look to the cross to see what Jesus has done for us. For the Israelites, yes, God could have removed all the snakes, but I think if he had done that, the people would have just as quickly again forgotten what he had done for, uh, for the people and they would have complained all over again. And I think for you and I, we're in that same danger. That if we do not repeatedly look to the cross, we will find ourselves forgetting what Jesus has all done. And when we forget what Jesus has done for us, usually negativity sets in. Maybe a little rabbit, not rabbit trail, but just as a side thought. For us as leaders, um, especially leaders of ministries, the heads of ministries, for us as parents, bosses, anyone who in the room who's influential, I wonder if one day God's going to look at us and say, man, the environment you created at your place was always negative because you were always negative. So I want to challenge those of us who are in leadership, whether it's in this church or whether it's in a different environment. And again, I'm speaking to myself as much as anyone else. But sometimes when I listen to certain teams of people in this church and certain ministries in this church, suddenly you're like, wow, those guys are really having a hard time. Or those, that, that ministry is really going through a difficult time. And then you, you look at sometimes at the leadership and it's like, ah, I wonder if that may have something to do with it. Because negativity rubs off. So if we're the leaders, if we're influential, if we're parents... If we're in charge of a group of people, I want to challenge all of us to really concentrate on being grateful for what God has given us. And I believe that that will, just as negativity rubs off on people, I think that that will rub off on others as well. So let us, as a church and as individuals, focus on the blessings that we have and let us be grateful. Let's see the cup not as half empty, but as full. Let's pray. Dear God, I want to thank you for this morning, and it's kind of quiet in here, so I'm assuming that we're thinking. And Father, I want to pray uh, the same prayer that I prayed for myself, for, for this church, and for every individual in this church. And I pray, Lord, that you would forgive. Thank you for the fact that you forgive our sins, but... I would pray again for myself and for the church here, forgive us, God, for those times when we have not been grateful, for those times when we have instead focused on the negative and complained about life instead of being grateful for the fact that you've given us life. Father, it's easy for us to look back in the Old Testament and look at the people of the um, Israelites and say, you know, man, they should have done this or this or this, but I know, God, I find myself in that same attitude so often, and I know that I'm not alone in this room. So I pray that we would be reminded today of your, of just your love, of your greatness. You reign as we've been singing this morning. And if you reign, why are we negative? 
Why are we focused on the things that are not exactly how we like? God, you reign. So forgive us. Make us a people. Or would we discipline ourselves today to be a people who are grateful for all that you have done? We thank you, Jesus, for coming to this earth. We thank you, Jesus, that you bled and that you died. You could have walked away from it. You could have commanded it to stop, but you didn't. You went through with it. You died. You rose from the dead. You are victorious, Lord, and you are our God. And I pray that in those moments when life is hard, that we would focus on you. I pray in those moments when we are tempted to, to see only the negative, that we would in those times focus on the cross and on what you have done for us, Jesus. May that be the attitude of our hearts. In Jesus' name I pray.